0: Welcome to the Question Community Broadcast. The Question is a new disruptive community that provides a gathering place for those who wonder about our complex selves, our complex world, our complex universe. We are a non-religious and inclusive community that explores the many questions surrounding truth in order to encourage you on the important journey to find your own answers. The Question community gathers every third Sunday evening at Redbush Tea and Coffee Company in the Kensington neighborhood of Calgary, starting at 7. Information on the community is available at our website, www.thequestion.ca. You can also join the community online at our Facebook page, which is The Question, and on Twitter, at TQCOM with two M's. You're now going to hear some highlights from our community gathering, where the question is asked through original arts and music, as well as thought-provoking presentations. This is Frederick Tamagi.
1: Now, remember I just said that ultimately, and very soon, 100% of our digital lives will be stored and monitored inside the cloud. I'd be really surprised if even the most committed technology fans Uh, We're now just a little disturbed by that. Now, I'm now going to briefly share some other tech developments that are going to transform our lives, digital and otherwise, because of the cloud. So the disturbance, if you're feeling disturbed, has just begun. I'll start with biometric identification. Anyone that has an iPhone is probably using or very tempted to use the fingerprint ID feature on the phone. I have a fingerprint ID feature on my laptop, which I do not use. Fingerprint ID technology is perhaps the most familiar biometric utility that we encounter. Now, Apple has promised that your fingerprint information is encrypted and is never going to be uploaded to their cloud. Okay, but going back to my original cloud fable, aren't you already inside their house when you activate the phone? And even the most benevolent and courteous landlords still have the only master key to the whole house, don't they? Okay, so look, I'm not trying to create paranoia, maybe I already have, or God forbid, call a giant corporation dishonest. But being true to the community, I am going to prompt this question, okay? Now, you may also know, maybe you don't, that biometric identification is currently being applied across a much wider list of body parts and activities. Facial recognition, okay? Facebook has a facial recognition algorithm uh, and there's lots of facial recognition in law enforcement. Retinal and iris scans. DNA verification. Notice how they're marketing DNA verification now. Ancestry.com, right, 23andMe, right? Where do you think all that DNA information is going? Okay, voice recognition. Walking characteristics and gait analysis. And this last one it just floored me, I didn't even realize. Keyboard typing rhythm had no idea that that is a signature. Mouse too, mouse clicks too. That's probably part of this, Stu. Now, all these biometric measures, including fingerprint ID, are currently in use and are being actively catalogued in databases everywhere, okay? from the FBI to Facebook. Now, there is a developing tech science called multimodal biometrics. Okay, now what this does is it seeks to correlate individual biometric characteristics, like fingerprint, uh, iris scans, and voice recognition into a much more complete virtual profile of a subject. This virtual profiling using our biometric data will become more possible as this information is steadily gathered, uploaded, and stored in the cloud. The utilization of this data will be as diverse users like the FBI and Facebook choose to apply it. But it's the cloud that makes it possible. One more thing. In 2009, India launched the world's first national biometric registration system. The program involved the gradual collection and cataloging of fingerprint ID, iris scans, and photographs for each and every Indian citizen. I was surprised to learn that as of this year, over one billion biometric ID files have been collected and stored. The Indian government is targeting next year to complete the biometric cataloging of the country's entire 1.3 billion population. So at the end of next year, the entire country of India will be cataloged this way. Now this gigantic ID catalog is currently being stored in a separate government-controlled data center in Bangalore, India, separate from the cloud. However, tech experts, most tech experts, have predicted that most world governments, following the lead of most major corporations, will gradually have to turn to the cloud as you know tech changes and advances and as their budgets become more restrained. So the experts are basically predicting that these biometric records will eventually reside in the cloud. No longer separate, no longer safe. Next thing I want to talk about is the practice of microchip implantation under the skin. Now, this is an older but still developing technology that utilizes the same radio frequency or near-field communication, right, NFC communication process that we use when we swipe our phone at a retail outlet or when we use an electronic fob to get into a building. It's been tested as a medium for everything from transmitting a personal ID number to access a cloud-based medical record system to transferring embedded digital contact cards uh, to NFC-equipped cell phones. So if I had one of these, Jonathan, I wanted to send you a contact card, just have to activate my microchip and you get the contact card on your phone. Now, microchip implants are being medically studied right now because of some evidence that the the silicate glass structure that encases it or the rare earth metals contained inside the chip may be connected to some negative health effects like cancer. So the technology is not being widely used at this time, but they'll, they'll solve this, somehow. A point of interest on microchip implants is that in the early 2000s, like 15, uh, late 1990s and early 2000, 15, 20 years ago, microchip implants were made controversial by secular privacy advocates and certain Christian groups, okay, that saw apocalyptic implications for mass microchip implantation in humans. Uh, The envisioned apocalypse was the fear of biometric data being uploaded to a clandestine surveillance database on a global scale. Now, it's ironic, isn't it, that this concern predated any indication that the cloud would become a reality just 15 years later. makes you think about the one billion Indians whose biometric information is now safely stored in a government data center and what's going to happen. Another fascinating but still cautious story of the relationship of personal tech to the cloud is the emergence of wearable tech devices. Okay? Pretty much everyone on the planet is aware of uh, Apple Watch, right? Google Glass, Fitbit, uh, other devices that do everything from tracking your digital vital signs, uh, to receiving texts and emails, to recording video of what you're looking at as you walk down the street. Wearable smart garments that record detailed biometric and physiological data in real time are now being successfully marketed by athletic clothing manufacturers, Nike, Reebok, and now MIT and Microsoft have developed a prototype smart tattoo technology called DuoSkin. This revolutionary digital jewelry, pretty much digital jewelry, is made up of thin layers of highly conductive gold leaf imprinted with a circuit and an NFC chip for connectivity. There's a layer of thermochromic material for uh, aesthetic body temperature displays, and the combined device is applied to the skin service using conventional temporary tattoo paper. DuoSkin is designed to ask as a simple, touch-sensitive interface for smartphones, tablets, TV, and other connected devices. Fascinating part of this story is that MIT and Microsoft have essentially solved a troublesome marketing problem for wearable tech. Okay? And that problem has been that it's been considered pretty cool, but it's also been considered kind of ugly. Right? So not a lot of people will wear it, because it, it doesn't really fit with their, their clothing or their ensemble the way they want to look. They've solved that problem. They've been able to elevate it to the level of personal adornment And now wearable tech can appeal to our vanity, as well as our geekiness. The cautious part of the story is that virtually all wearable tech, with all of its personal monitoring capability, is irrevocably connected to the cloud. Now, because of limited time, okay, I just want to very briefly touch on the two latest frontiers of personal tech that point to our future residency inside the cloud. First one is nanotechnology. Now, you've all heard this term before, so have I, but its meaning and possibilities are immensely impressive. Nanotechnology is the science of manipulating and creating new objects from particles that are less than 100 nanometers in size. Call that a nanoparticle, right? The resulting new objects are sometimes not much larger than a small group of atoms. It's amazing. Just to refresh your memory, a nanometer, okay, is one billionth of a meter. And to help get your bearings, here's uh, a little extra taste of nanoscale. Okay? A hydrogen atom is 0.1 nanometers. A DNA strand is 2.5 nanometers. A red blood cell is huge. <laughs> it's 7,500 nanometers. Uh, the smallest neural cell is 4 nanometers. So it gives you an idea of what a nanometer is. The smallest possible silicon-based microchip is approaching the 14-nanometer mark. That's pretty small, okay? And it's pretty much the limit now for conventional silicon-based semiconductors. They really can't go any smaller than that. Because if they go any smaller, they catch on fire. There just is not enough room for electrons to pass through it. Nanochips made from carbon-based material called graphene, have achieved miniaturization to seven nanometers. And there is some indication that a five-nanometer microchip is on the horizon. That's just slightly larger, just one nanometer larger than the smallest neural cell. Nanoprocessors this small can be injected into the human body to monitor physiological and neurological functions at any anatomical site, including a virus or inside the brain, okay? A virus, by the way, the smallest virus is 20 nanometers. The biggest virus is 400 nanometers wide. This was unbelievable. Recently read an article that described an enzyme-activated biofuel nanocell that would provide renewable power to an implanted nanoprocessor in the body. Think of it, okay, a machine about the same size as a neural cell, powered by renewable energy that will be capable of monitoring, recording, and uploading our most minute physiological and neurological data. Pretty much all of the detail that makes us who we are, all uploaded to the cloud. Anyone a little disturbed yet? Now has anyone heard of the term the Internet of Things? It's a term that's being used to describe the ultimate interconnectivity of everyday objects in our lives, okay? To maximize happiness, productivity, efficiency. Smart vehicles, smart buildings, smart household appliances, smart furniture, smart clothing, smart food, smart cities. All connected through the internet. Machine to man to machine connectivity on a global scale. This is the ultimate squaring of the circle for big data. The IoT is the new holy grail of the tech world because it literally networks anything or anyone that can be embedded with digital capability. Every manufactured item, every service, every form of communication, every human body could be a participant or more accurately a component of the Internet of Things. This is all happening, actually, right now, in real time. We're being persuaded that we will be the beneficiaries of this grand technological vision. But just as I said at the beginning of this presentation, we should stop to consider the question of whether or not it is the persuaders who are the real beneficiaries. The Internet of Things promises to open all doors of data connectivity to us. But are we supposed to overlook the fact that all the doors will just be separate entrances to the same big house? the cloud. Okay, take a breath, because there really is a point to all of this talk of the cloud. Um, Actually, there is a question for all this talk of the cloud, but I'm not going to ask it right now. I'm hoping that you'll want to ask it on your own after I share this last bit with you, Uh, and I hope you'll keep asking it with every step on the walkway leading up to your personal door to the big house. In order to stimulate your private question, I'm going to share three brief story synopses which you can choose to reflect upon singularly, if you like, or if you're so inclined, you could allow an intellectual and even spiritual triangulation of the stories to take place. Either way, it doesn't matter. your private question will likely arise, although it may be different for everybody in the room. The famous British author, Aldous Huxley, wrote the novel Brave New World in 1931. pretty sure everyone's read it at one point in their life. It's been required student reading pretty much from the year it was written due to its bold imagining of an unthinkable future. The novel is set in the year 2540, that's 500 years from now. Now virtually all of the human race resides in a single world state a benevolent dictatorship overseen by an elite group of world controllers. The world state is a very stable and strictly conditioned global society subject to these dominant principles. Hope you can read this. Principle one is the abolition of natural reproductive development. All reproduction is manipulated through prenatal interventions, prenatal, in the womb, both biological and neurological. Okay, this results in a rigid caste system, there's five classes of intellectual elites and lesser thinkers to serve them. That's the result of the biological or the reproductive engineering. Education at all levels is achieved through a subconscious sleep-learning kind of methodology. Critical thinking is discouraged, serious literature, science, and any experimentation is banned as subversive. The only cultural activity is a kind of tactile movie experience based on pure sensation. It's a kind of virtual reality. Individualism has been absorbed into a collective existence based on rampant materialism, drugs, and hedonism. Now, there is a small group of independent thinkers who live outside the control of the world state. They have natural experiential memories of history, literature, philosophy, science, and religion. They're called savages. Remember that. In 1949, George Orwell, another renowned British author, wrote the novel 1984. This is another book that most of us have read, right? This has been yet another required student to read for decades with its own evolved, unique vision of an unthinkable future. This story takes place in Oceania, one of three colossal superstates that make up the future world order. Now, Oceania is governed somewhat differently than Huxley's world state. There's a single all-powerful leader, Big Brother. There are three social castes versus five in Brave New World. The inner party is 2%. That's the 2%. Okay? The outer party, which is 13%, and the proles, the masses, the 85%. The entire state is dominated by pervasive universal surveillance and broadcasting with televisions, cameras, speakers, and microphones in every corner of society. There is no place to hide from the eyes or the message of Big Brother. This universal surveillance regime employs powerful thought police to detect and eradicate dissidents and resistors. Winston Smith, who's the main character, is a middle caste employee of the Ministry of Truth. It's kind of a funny title. Ironically, because his work entails rewriting historical records and altering historical photographs to conform to the state's propaganda plan for the parole class. Now, in 1984, there is an underground resistance movement of thought criminals called the Brotherhood. The resistance is dedicated to awakening a hunger for the truth amongst the parole class. Now, Winston briefly flirts with the Brotherhood but he's captured by the thought police and is psychologically tortured in a special room which contains, get this, I thought this was really interesting, it's a room that contains each prisoner's worst nightmare. That's really an interesting image, I'm not even sure how they'd achieve that. Actually, I do know, right? Ultimately, Winston can't resist and he surrenders to Big Brother. Now, In 165 BC and 70 AD, two famous books of the Bible were written by futurists with yet another evolved perspective. They are the books of Daniel and the book of Revelation. Now, though their writing was separated by over 200 years, taken together, they have been required reading for both religious and secular futurists for centuries. More recently, these ancient prophetic writings are being reexamined because of their unique resonance with the new tech revolution. This new resonance has never been so unique or so provocative as it has been since the emergence of the cloud. Okay, so why wouldn't we wish to consider these visions along with the visions of Brave New World in 1984? Now in the book of Daniel, the future world is ruled by ten kingdoms. Now, Theologians and futurists have speculated that these uh, ten kingdoms could be memes for the United Nations or, more recently, the European Union. An early incarnation of the EU actually featured ten countries. The Book of Revelation speaks of the Antichrist, or the Beast, who wages war with these ten kingdoms, eventually dominates them and forges them into one single world government. This government is said to rule over every individual, every tribe, every language, every nation. The beast then moves to identify and persecute dissidents who refuse to follow him. The beast's primary instrument of controlling all life is through the medium of commerce. All subjects of the government are given a unique identification mark. This is what they call the mark of the beast. Okay, You've heard that term. This is how it's expressed in Revelation. The beast also forced all people, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hands or their foreheads, so that they could not buy or sell unless they had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of its name. Now this calls for wisdom. Let the person who has insight calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. That number is 666." It's like a horror movie. (laughs) Social survival is dependent on this mysterious ID imprinted on the right hand of the forehead. Imprinted on the right hand of the forehead of billions of people. But think about it. This mass imprinting is an impossible ancient task, okay? with a very possible modern solution. All people are forced to receive the mark of the beast. Even though, and even though everyone is subject to the ID tyranny, there's other passages in Revelation that speak of persecuted dissidents among the marked. They're called believers. So in Brave New World, we have savages. In 1984, we have thought criminals, right? In Revelation, we have believers. Now, even though I close with this ancient Bible prophecy, you'll remember that I suggested you might find yourself triangulating these futuristic visions of Huxley, Orwell, and the Apostle John. By doing this, it's possible that some of you might conclude that these are all the same story, okay? Written, just written in chronological order, with one story merely inspiring the next. I've heard people say that, and I think that's valid. There may be others of you who see that there are enough differences in these different visions of the future that one is really no more plausible than the other. And therefore, none are completely plausible at all. There are even some uh, that, as pragmatists right or realists, you would never, ever base your worldview or personal agenda on works of science fiction, or even worse, religious fiction. So for you to suggest any triangulation of these three stories at all would be a kind of artificial connect the dots kind of conspiracy to demonize technology and suspend reason, because we are a community of reason, after all. Okay, all of these points of view are valid. But here's the thing, okay? Because of the cloud, what was once considered fiction, whether scientific or religious, will very soon become completely possible, completely non-fictional. So let me suggest another triangulation possibility. It occurs when the alleged fiction of Brave New World, 1984, and Revelation, when that's intertwined with the now-assured nonfiction of the cloud. Consider the possibility that these narratives are not the same story, but that they are one story. It's the cloud that can make every fictional claim, whether it was written in the year 70, 1931, 1949, or any other year for that matter, can make that fictional claim a non-fictional reality. There is nothing in these visions of the future, no matter how unthinkable, at the time they were written, that won't be possible to achieve because of the cloud. Personal devices, biometrics, implanted microchips, wearable technology, nanotechnology, and ultimately the Internet of Things will enable our entire lives to be uploaded, stored, manipulated, and controlled because of the cloud. Triangulating what might be seen as science or religious fiction into one story, not only articulates the what and the how of the cloud, but perhaps most importantly, the possible why of the cloud. All articulated before the cloud even existed. Pragmatists, realists, theists, atheists, even agnostics are all put on notice because of the cloud. One final thing. Earlier I had said that all this talk of the cloud might inspire a private question for you, Okay? Now, it could be a completely different private question for each person in the room. I also said that I wasn't going to ask my private question tonight, but I changed my mind. Because as I researched the disturbing, seductive, godlike power of the cloud, and reviewed these incredible and terrible literary visions of the future, I was inspired. Oddly enough, by the decidedly low-tech and completely human power to choose who we are. To choose to surrender or resist. To choose captivity or freedom. In the brave new world, world state or savage, choose. In 1984, prole or thought criminal, choose. In Revelation, subject of the beast or believer choose. Therein lay my private question, this is it.
0: Who am I? Thank you for listening. If you're interested in joining the question community, we meet every third Sunday evening at Redbush Tea and Coffee Company in the Kensington neighborhood of Calgary, starting at 7. You can participate in the online discussion on our Facebook page, which is The Question, or on Twitter at TQCOM. That's at T-Q-C-O-M-M. Our website is www.thequestion.ca. Thanks again for listening, and remember that our answers are only possible because of our questions.